Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Welcome, oddities, to another edition of the Oddcast. You know, it's weird. This is the second time I've tried to record this particular episode. The first time was several days ago, and I continued to have multiple problems, and it just seemed to be doomed to disaster. But I'm going to give it another shot here. And I just want to kind of cover Freemasonry once again, maybe some different aspects, some different quotes because it seems to come up in nearly every subject that I study, nearly every conversation that I have. And uh, recently, some of you have probably watched this, there's been a five-plus-hour kind of documentary-type thing that one of the former winners of the X Factor, Altian, I think is how he says it, Altian Child. I guess the guy won like 2010, 2011, performed for a while, and in the last few years he's kind of dropped off the face of the earth. So he resurfaced with this video on YouTube, and like I said, it's over five hours long. And it's pretty interesting, I have to say. I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, Jack from Conspiracy Just a Coincidence sent it to me, and I've seen quite a few clips of it played on Instagram, but if you want to look at the video, which I will, of course, put in my show notes, it's called X Factor Winner Reveals World's Secret Religion, and I've just been watching it in increments because, like I said, so long, but um, he really does a good job, I think, of really putting together all these pictures of different celebrities and different uh, well-known people figures, media figures, and politicians, entertainers, sports stars, and they're making specific hand signs. And you know, guys, I've talked about these hand signs for a long time. I've posted pictures of different people making the same hand signs. Other people talk about it. Uh, You can see, like, I, I even started a Pinterest just so I could keep track of a lot of these pictures. So one of the main hand signs, if you will, that they make is the sign of Harpocrates or uh, the sign of silence where they cover their lips and normally they do it with one finger and there's famous pictures of people doing this Uh, many famous pictures and many famous people and then also there is of course the one eye symbolism somehow covering one eye and they do it so many different ways Um, And then also there's the hidden hand, which goes way back. But he had on this video some 
pictures of people doing the hidden hand that I'd never been able to find, like Vladimir Putin and others, plenty of celebrities. And, uh, oh, of course, there's the fourth one, I guess, is making the sign of the triangle, of course. But, uh, and I'm sure there are instances where these celebrities just do it because they've seen other celebrities do it. And it could be that the photographers or whoever's setting up the uh, photography in the pictures, uh, maybe they're telling them how to pose at some at certain times. And it could be that the people who are taking the pictures and kind of setting up the whole scene for the photography shoot are having these people do these signs and poses. But one thing I've noticed is usually if you see one person doing, say, the hidden hand, a lot of times you can find them doing other poses. And this this video demonstrates that perfectly. Of course, in a five-hour-plus video, you can say a lot and show a lot and he does and it gets a little monotonous at times but it's not anything you can't just forward through but even the monotony is only that way because there's no sound in certain little parts of it just so he can show different things but the cool one of the other cool things he does he pulls out some quotes lesser known quotes about freemasonry some quotes from the satanic Rituals, which is the companion to the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey regarding Freemasonry. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of, and I've said this for a long time, but a lot of people say Freemasonry is a huge part of entertainment. Obviously, there's a lot of these celebrities that seem to be involved in it. But there's all these connected organizations to Freemasonry. You know, there's the Jesters and the Shriners of course, you have to be, or used to be, you had to be a 33rd to be a Shriner, I believe. Or maybe that was a, a 32nd degree Mason. And then you could go on up to the Shriners. But I'm told now it's just, the, the only qualifications are Master Mason from the Blue Lodge. And so, uh, but there's all these other different ones. Uh, see, I'm missing, there's the Odd Fellows. There's the Tall Cedars of Lebanon. But there's the more darker groups like the OTO and the Order of the Golden Dawn and uh, of course the Rosicrucians and their spinoffs of the Rosicrucians uh, the Thelemic Union I don't know if that is a the Thelemic Union Thelema I don't know if that's a society all on its own or if that's part of the OTO but um, of course there is Skull and Bones and a bunch of lesser known ones but I have thought for a long time that a lot of these entertainers and important people, maybe they did go through the grades of Freemasonry and now they're in like the OTO or one of these others who really implement a sexual uh, vibe and they do different things sexually, a lot of ritual sexual magic with bodily fluids and different things like that, like the OTO and whatnot. Because it seems to be that there is a very, I mean, obviously Hollywood and in the entertainment industry is hypersexualized, and we're seeing different things with these, uh, you know, these cults, these sex cults being busted, and more and more rumors of pedophilia, and more and more things coming out about these perverts in Hollywood. So you have to wonder if that kind of thing is not more prevalent than we even think about in the conspiracy community and we'll probably never know for sure but I thought that I would do a show kind of talking about Freemasonry just kind of based on Altian's video and I urge you to watch it like I said watch it in increments and see what you think you know he's even got Cosby hiding one eye in a picture or two and like I said, you know, it doesn't prove anything outright, just one picture, but many times you see these guys making other pictures, and I'll include my Pinterest page. Uh, it's funny, I know I've got a Pinterest, but uh, like I said, I only started it just so I could document these pictures, and uh, there's some pretty interesting ones on there, but you know, you can see what you think. Make up your own mind. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to Altian. Uh, just check these out and uh, see what you think. And one thing I wanted to mention quickly, I want to kind of look into this deeper, but I would invite you to look into it as well. I was just thinking about Corona and Corona 
means crown. And of course, that relates to the sun and the crown of the sun, which also relates to the rays of the sun. So you've got corona, crown, and you've got kether, or keter, in the Kabbalah, tree of life, which also means crown. And of course, you're working your way up to the light in Kabbalah. And you've got the seven rays of, I don't know if it was Alice Bailey who came up with that, or Annie Besant, or Blavatsky, or whoever, but it's a theosophical idea, the seven rays. Then you've got sun symbolism in many of the mystery schools. And what's interesting also, too, if you study like sun symbolism, and the more you study these ancient religions, you find out that the mystery schools kind of overplay the whole sun symbolism ideology to the point where people think that the main god in every pantheon was a sun god, and that's that's not true at all. Uh, there were different phases of sun gods, and there was a sun god in most pantheons, but like, you'd look back to Egypt, and of course, we hear from the mystery schools especially that Osiris, Isis, and Horus were the three main gods, the trinity, if you will, in Egypt. But Osiris didn't really even come along to play a huge role in Egyptian religion until the 18th dynasty. And that's where they brought in, kind of pushed the trinity, the Egyptian trinity, if you will. And I'm going to do a show on the Egyptian religion and Egyptian history eventually, but I've read some good books on it. And I just thought that was interesting. And you look at, also, you look at the Sumerian beliefs, and it wasn't that the sun god was the be-all, end-all of everything in there. So you have to kind of wonder why they have pushed this sun god theory to make people think that that was the main god in every pantheon, but that's just one of those things that's come about because it's it's one of the most easily accessible gods. You can just say the sun god and people relate to it because it's the one that they know the most. But anyway, it relates back to Corona, of course. And then Alice Bailey wrote the book, Initiation Human and Solar. And one thing I've noticed in that book it really seems to me like, because she keeps talking about the initiation process and describing it, and she's talking about a different process than the Freemasonry initiation. I don't think she ever really says exactly what secret society or faith or whatever that's from, but I suppose she's talking about theosophy. Uh, but I just thought that was interesting how it all connects. And then, of course, you've got the sun symbolism of the Jesuits, and you've got the some would argue the sun shape, even though I have to say, you know, a circle is probably the most common shape that anyone can ever imagine from the beginning of time. Also, the square and then the triangle. You just have to, you know, you can't be overwhelmed by these shapes. You have to understand that these are basic, basic shapes that are in every part of the world, of course. They're just human nature to make these shapes because they're simplistic. But you've got the circle of the Eucharist in Catholicism. And then, of course, Masons travel east towards the sun, and, and Masonry is kind of all developed around moving towards the sun and moving towards the light. And, of course, you've got the light workers and that whole spacey kind of uh, belief system. And, of course, Masons reach illumination, and you had the Illuminati. And, you know illumination, light, halo, aura, all relates back to corona. And so if you think about all these mystery schools and these occult belief systems and uh, the part of the sun god in the ancient pagan religions, and then you put it together with Freemasonry and the other various modern secret societies, it's very strange to me that something called corona and the coronavirus, and I know that we have had a coronavirus for years and years, but coronavirus, COVID-19, 
is the one to set about this great reset, which I always say is not just economic, it is spiritual, and it's this whole new age thing that they're trying to push to come to fruition. They're trying to manifest this new world, which they claim is going to be awesome and fair, and, you know, I've gone through all that crap. And we know that that's not possible here on Earth. It's never been possible. So I just think that, I don't know, you cannot overlook that. To me, and you've even got the Luciferase or Luciferase or however you say that, uh, that's in the, uh, is it in the COVID-19 vaccine, I believe, or one of the vaccines? I don't know. But anyway, I talked about this stuff so much now I'm forgetting it. But uh, all these things seem to be linked back, or I believe they're linked back, and makes me twice as suspicious of Corona, of the poke, and everything else. Uh, it seems like there's just too many... I mean, if these different mystery schools and secret societies hadn't put such emphasis on the sun and different aspects of the sun, then corona wouldn't be as big a deal, the, the word corona. But I'm very, very, very suspicious of it. And I have to wonder if there's not a lot of different organizations in cahoots who have these New Age beliefs. And they're also exploiting other people who think left-brained, you know, with really thinking with their heart on their sleeves, which to a point is good, but then you have to use common sense because if you allow yourself to be used emotionally, you may end up supporting something that's evil and twice as bad as what you thought you were fighting against. So I hope that makes some sense. I was just rambling on, but I think that... Uh, it's kind of important to think about these things and point these things out to people. And I'd like for other people who know more about Kabbalah and Kether and, and these other aspects to look into this. And hopefully people smarter than myself can compare some of this symbology and maybe even bring up more words and things that would go along with Corona that relate directly to esoteric belief systems. You know, I have people say, well, why do you always uh, talk about Freemasonry? You know, people get mad because they're sympathetic to it. And a lot of people who delve into these New Age beliefs and uh, belief systems, that's all related to Freemasonry, so they become offended. But I try to say that I'm not, Yeah, you know, I haven't come out and just been a total anti-Mason. I realize that there are people who are good who are Masons and are not part of this whole New World Order plan. Michael Whitkoff, in his book on the Masons and their lies, he was a Freemason. Now he's an Orthodox. I don't know if he's a priest or not, but I know he, his religion now is Orthodoxy. And he wrote this book, uh, and he says here it's a quote from Albert Pike from Morals and Dogma, and he says in the eighth degree, the intendant of the building, Pike goes as far as to say that, quote. It is the province of masonry to teach all truths, not moral truth alone, but political and philosophical and even religious truths, so far as concerns the great and essential principles of each. In another part, it says in the introduction of Morals and Dogma, Pike says, quote, Masonry is the great peace society of the world. Now that sounds like the UN, right? Wherever it exists... It struggles to prevent international difficulties and disputes and to bind republics, kingdoms, and empires together in one great band of peace and amity. Of course, uh, you know, that's this whole theory of this one world utopia. And I know, I know that that would be wonderful if we could achieve that, but the people that are pushing this are going to be ruling and again, Bailey even talks about the hierarchies. Of course, she says it's going to be ran by, I guess, what she would call these uh, the Great White Lodge, the Great White Brotherhood. Uh, so if you believe that crap, uh, again, uh, she and Bezant and the others have also said that this brotherhood has already been behind powers of the government for 
decades and decades. So look what they've pushed us into. Another part he says that Pike says, To us, the whole world is God's temple and is every upright heart to establish all over the world the new law and reign of love, peace, charity, and toleration is to build that temple most acceptable to God in erecting which masonry is now engaged. Again, it sounds great, but you have to understand this is the big daddy of Freemasonry. His body is entombed in the house of the temple in Washington, D.C., right down from the White House. He has a huge statue right down from the White House. They try to act like Albert Pike is not a big deal, and he's a huge deal. And the rights and the degrees that they take on and the initiations that they take on, most of them were written by Albert Pike. So when he's talking about governments and politics and different things like that and having an influence on the world, he means it. And so it goes back to my idea of Mason's promising to be uh, promising to always take the brother's side no matter what and always do business with the brother and these world leaders coming together as Masons and swearing allegiance to one another. And I think that's the biggest threat of Freemasonry is the oaths, the oaths that these people swear to one another. We know that through phoenixfreemasonry.org We've had quite a few Supreme Court justices who were Freemasons. We know there's tons of other judges and police officers, tons and tons of police officers who are Freemasons. The Fraternal Order of Police is an offshoot of the Masonic fraternity. Uh, you know, you just that's just the tip of the iceberg. You, we're talking people in all different levels of government, people in the private sector, heads of industry different ones in the entertainment industry. All these people around the world now, around the world, not just in America, who have sworn oaths to always take a brother's side, to always, always do business with a brother when they can. That's pretty damn scary. And so I think that is when people say, well, what's the problem with Freemasonry? Because... It's not just the fact that I'm a Christian and I believe that they are Luciferian and, and some people don't see a problem with that. And that's fine. But to me, anyone, whether they're a Christian or not, an atheist, anybody should be able to see that this is a huge problem, a potential problem with these secret oaths to one another. I mean, it's, it's a way to... How could you trust any of your representatives if you know that they could have made these secret oaths. And I talk also about, you know, the dual citizenship that the American government allows the representatives to have. And that's another aspect of who knows who's, who's allegiant to whom, you know. So this is just another aspect, another layer onto that of wondering who these people are allegiant to, who these people answer to, or who are these people going to try to protect. And I can't remember if I have mentioned this quote by Pike from Morals and Dogma. I probably have, but I think we can mention it once again. I don't think it'll hurt at all. He says in the third degree, Master Mason, in his commentary, Pike says, quote, Masonry, like all religions, are mysteries. Hermeticism and alchemy conceals its secrets from all except the adepts and sages, or the elect, and uses false explanations and misinterpretations of its symbols to mislead those who deserve only to be misled. So masonry jealously conceals its secrets and intentionally leads conceited interpreters away. Henry Clausen says, and this is from the Michael Whitcoff book as well, Henry Clausen, a 33rd degree sovereign grand commander of the Scottish Rite, says, quote, An initiate may imagine he understands the ethics, symbols, and enigmas whereas a true explanation of these is reserved for the more adept. And we know that Manly P. Hall talks about how Freemasonry is a secret society within a secret society. So uh, Hall, I uh, think he talks a little bit more about how they hide things from the lower levels. And uh, so you wonder, and that's why I can't hold a huge grudge against these lower level Masons, because they don't even know what's going on. 
at the higher levels. And I think this is pretty important because I've talked about liberty for years and years, but you have to understand and keep, you have to keep uh, common sense. You have to think critically about liberty and not all those who talk about it mean it and they will use even it for nefarious purposes. Whitgoff says here that the Frenchman Louis de Bonald said, quote, the cry liberty, equality, fraternity, or death was much in vogue during the revolution. Liberty ended by covering France with prisons, equality by multiplying titles and decorations, and fraternity by dividing us. Death alone prevailed. He says the same sentiment was expressed more recently by Roy Campbell when he said, More people have been imprisoned for liberty, humiliated and tortured for equality, and slaughtered for fraternity in this century than for any less hypocritical motives during the Middle Ages. And by the way, going back to Lucifer, I know that many Masons will say that Lucifer represents Venus, and Venus is a false sun or a false light that comes before the actual sun. So the Masons actually look to the sun for the light, and that is their light. So to be fair, I want to say that because I did mention Lucifer earlier. Now, another thing that I talk about all the time is these different Masonic authors have completely different ideas of the origin or the origins of Freemasonry or the meaning of certain symbology. But right here from W.L. Wilmhurst's The Meaning of Masonry, he's talking about the lodge floor. And he says, The floor or groundwork of the lodge, a checker work of black and white squares, denotes the dual quality of everything connected with the terrestrial life and physical groundwork of human nature. The mortal body and its appetites and affections. The web of our life is a mingled yarn, good and ill together wrote Shakespeare. Everything material is characterized by inextricably interblended good and evil, light and shade, joy and sorrow, positive and negative. What is good for me may be evil for you. Pleasure is generated from pain and ultimately degenerates into pain again. Whoa, wow. What is right to do at one moment may be wrong the next. I am intellectually exalted today and tomorrow correspondingly depressed and benighted. The dualism of these opposites governs us in everything, and experience of it is prescribed for us until such time as having learned and outgrown its lesson. We are ready for an advancement to a condition where we outgrow the sense of this checkerwork existence, and those opposites cease to be perceived as opposites, but are realized as a unity or synthesis. To find that unity or synthesis is to know the peace which passes understanding. That's a quote in the Bible. And Jesus gives us the peace that passes all understanding. He says, Which surpasses our present experience because, because in it the darkness and the light are both alike. And our present concepts of good and evil, joy and pain, are transcended and found subliminated in the condition combining both. And this lofty condition is represented by the indented or tessellated border skirting the black and white checkerwork, even as the divine presence and providence surrounded and embraced our temporal organisms in which those opposites are inherent. Why is the checker floor work given such prominence in the lodge furniture? The answer is to be found in the statement in the third degree ritual. The square pavement is for the high priest to walk upon, now, it is not merely the Jewish high priest of centuries ago that is here referred to, but the individual member of the craft, for every mason is intended to be a high priest of his own personal temple and to make of it a place where he and deity may meet. By the mere fact of being in this dualistic world, every living being, whether a mason or not, walks upon the square pavement of mingled good and evil in every action of his life, so that the Floor cloth is the symbol of an elementary philosophical truth common to us all. But for us, the words walk upon imply much more than that. They mean he who aspires to be a master of his fate and a captain of his soul must walk upon these opposites in the sense of transcending and dominating them, 
of trampling upon his lower sensual nature and keeping it beneath his feet in subjection and control. He must be able to rise above the motley of good and evil to be superior and indifferent to the ups and downs of fortune, the attractions and fears governing ordinary men and swaying their thoughts and actions this way or that. So, you know, part of that sounds fantastic, of course. But the part where, really, I always come to is there's no good and evil, there's no absolutes, and you hear him say that. So, your evil may be my good, and back and forth. To me, it's like if you go out and you needlessly assault someone, that is evil, and it's an absolute that that's evil. Or if you go out and you feed someone, that's an absolute good. So to say that there aren't any absolutes, and to say that good and evil equal each other, and that's somehow an enlightened way of thinking, I think is just horseshit. Now in Ralph Epperson's book, Masonry, Conspiracy Against Christianity, he's got a quote in here from Manly P. Hall. It says, from his works entitled, what the ancient wisdom expects of its disciples. It says the ancient initiates are the invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but the marionettes, dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. We see the dancer, but the mastermind that does the work remains concealed by the cloak of silence. And again, I will just say that if these enlightened ones... Uh, this great white brotherhood has been controlling governments of the past and even of the present, then they're assholes and they've caused undue destruction, death, and misery. And another thing that uh, Epperson talks about in this book, and I've never talked too much about the uh, Kennedy assassination because it's kind of like the... Uh, the main conspiracy, right? The first conspiracy, sort of speak. And uh, it kind of bores me, but I know it's important, but there's just been so many different theories. Epperson says, One more item of interest occurred under the 33rd degree northern latitude. President John Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas on November 22nd, 1963. Dallas is underneath the 33rd degree as well. And the day he was assassinated the 22nd, when added to 11, the number of the month of November equals 33. The site of the assassination, a park called Dealey Plaza, has an obelisk in it with a plaque commemorating the park as being the site of the first fraternal lodge in Texas. Texas was created by Masons, and their flag was designed by a member of the Masonic Lodge. Now, also say, I think his name was George Dealey, was a Mason, and there's actually a Masonic Lodge named after him. And right down from the site, there's not only the obelisk at the memorial, but there is a building right down from the site, and I'm not sure, but I believe it's three blocks away, that is a pyramid shape. So, obviously, I mean... That had Masonic fingerprints all over it, and I just don't see how anyone could deny that. And you can go back and look at, uh, if it's not a picture, it's a painting of the old Freemasonry Lodge that was right there next to where the assassination took place. And interestingly, we're talking about Texas and the assassination of President Kennedy. Robert W. Sullivan says in his book, the Royal Arch of Enoch, which is all about Freemasonry and the Royal Arch degree. He says, The link between the Egyptian dog star Sirius and the Masonic Brotherhood can be seen clearly in the symbolism and iconography of Texas, being known as the Lone Star State. When one thinks of Masonry in Texas, one is immediately drawn to the Alamo, which was originally a Catholic mission named San Antonio de Valero. By the time of the Battle of the Alamo between February and March of 1836, the brothers occupying it had all but converted it into a Masonic temple. The Freemasons fell at the Alamo by the forces of the General Antonio Lopez de Santa Anna, and it included Davy Crockett, Colonel William B. Travis, James B. Bonham, 
James Bowie, and Allerman Dickerson. The fall of the Alamo led to the Battle of San Jacinto, fought on April 21, 1836, and was the decisive battle of the Texas Revolution, led by Freemason and General Sam Houston, who was, I believe, from where I live. The Texan army engaged and defeated Santa Ana's Mexican forces in a fight which lasted just 18 minutes. The Alamo aside, many Freemasons also contributed substantially to the fight for Texas independence and are at the core of Texan history. These included, as mentioned, Sam Houston, as well as David G. Burnett, Lorenzo de Zavala, Thomas Rusk, Mirabu Bonaparte. He says, in reply to a toast complimentary to the Masons of that republic, observed, Texas is emphatically a Masonic country. All of our presidents and vice presidents and four-fifths of our state officers were Masons. The five points of fellowship form a pentagram, the symbol within Freemasonry for the dog star Sirius. Sirius is the brightest star in the night sky, and as such, it is the lone star, and according to Pike, a star that symbolizes fellowship. It is the pentalpha, or Pythagoras, or pentacle of Solomon. It has five lines and five angels, and is among Masons the outline or origin of the five-pointed star, an emblem of fellowship. When Texas joined the Union in December 1845, it was not only the largest state, but arguably the brightest Masonic state in the country. Texas is thus known as the Lone Star State. The iconography can be seen on the Texas flag and its great seal. Regarding the flag, the dark blue background suggestive of the nighttime sky and the white pentagram is the blazing star Sirius. While on the great seal, the pentagram is the central symbol of focus. The admission of Texas to the Union not only paved the way westward for the inclusion of more American states, but it made the United States a truly continental nation, which was at the heart of our Masonic founding fathers from its inception. That is, again, Robert W. Sullivan from his book, Royal Arch of Enoch. And I think it's interesting that all these different celebrities and podcasters and entertainers are moving to Austin. And Austin is one of the most liberal cities in the United States. So you have to wonder if they're moving just to get away from the COVID lockdowns, because that's the one thing I think that's been a little lighter in Austin. But they have a horrible, horrible homeless problem because of having such a liberal, liberal local government and uh, it's kind of funny because you got all these people moving from these super liberal northern cities to Austin and just making it even more liberal. And, you know, it's not like classical liberalism. And I have to think that even though they're trying to get away from the lockdowns of New York and L.A. and places like that, they're also trying to get away from the censorship but it's going to follow them right there because the same people are headed that way. So I just thought I would pull that in together. Maybe there's not even a connection to Freemasonry and what's happening in Austin, but I think it's, it's pretty interesting that Texas was such a Masonically rich state as far as their history is concerned. Now, this is from a PDF I was able to find online that I've had on my phone for a while called Freemasonry on Trial. It says here, Masonry is the core of the New Age world religion. Alice Bailey finally gives away the big secret. The Christ and the Masters are occupied with the task of preparing for the restoration of the mysteries. This restoration will fall into three phases and will cover and include its symbolism, all phases of human unfoldment. The story of mankind will be pictorialized. These three phases correspond broadly and in a general sense to the three degrees of the Blue Lodge in Masonry. And remember, her husband was a 33rd degree Mason, uh, Foster Bailey, and I've read from some of his books. The analogy is not entirely accurate owing to the unavoidable degeneracy of Masonry, but with the restoration of the mysteries, Masonry will come into its own. The ritual of the Master Mason degree will be objectively staged and the general public will recognize it as the major rite 
and ritual of the new religious institution of the period. This is the stage where the forces of resurrection are active, when the Lord is with his people and the Christ has returned to earth. That's Alice A. Bailey, Externalization of the Hierarchy, page 574 to 575. Now let's pop over to another Alice Bailey book, and this is from Education in the New Age, and she's talking about the Syrian Lodge. And no, she's not talking about Syria with a Y. She's talking about the star Sirius, the dog star. Uh, She really thinks that there is a lodge on Sirius, and that her husband wrote in that one book that Freemasons may return to the Sirius Lodge eventually. But she says here, and I think this, listen to this, because I think this has something to do with Build Back Better, the UN, and the Great Reset. It says in bold, the day of opportunity. The question might be here asked, wherein this information is of value to the student? In illustration of this, it would be wise if students would ponder the significance of the coming in of the present ray of ceremonial law or magic. It is the ray that deals with the building forces of nature that concerns itself with the utilization of the form intelligently by the life aspect. It is largely the ray of executive work with the object of building, coordinating, and producing cohesion in the four lower kingdoms of nature. It is distinguished largely by the energy which manifests itself in ritual. But this word, Ritual must not be narrowed down to its present use in connection with Masonic or religious ritual. Its applications is far wider than this and includes the methods of organization which are demonstrated in all civilized communities, such as in the world of commerce and of finance, and the great business organizations everywhere to be seen. Above all, its interest lies for us in the fact that it is the ray which brings opportunity to the Occidental races, and through the medium of this life force of executive organization of government by rule and order, by rhythm and by ritual, will come the time wherein the Occidental races, with their active concrete mind and their vast business capacity, an initiation we must remember upon a ray which is temporarily recognized as a major ray. A larger number of the initiates and those who have obtained adeptship in this last cycle have been Orientals and those in Hindu bodies. This cycle has been dominated by the sixth ray, which is just passing out, and the two proceeding. In the preservation of this equilibrium, the time now comes when a period of attainment by Occidentals will be seen, and this upon a ray suited to their type of mind. So they write about all these different things and they put a lot of these words in there that don't really mean that much, that just sounds really fancy and it makes people kind of confused and you can see why people would not want to listen or try to read this stuff. But um, let's go to Sirius. I was talking about that a minute ago. Let's check out some of the quotes she has about Sirius. It says here, it's talking about planetary used by a planetary logos for initiatory purposes and for the third, fourth, and fifth major initiations with the two higher. At the planetary initiation, the rod of power wielded by the solar logos is charged with pure electrical force from Sirius and was received by our logos during the secondary period of creation from the hands of the great entity who is the presiding lord of lords of karma. He is the repository of the law during manifestation, and he it is who is the representative in the solar system of that greater brotherhood on Sirius, whose lodges are found functioning as the occult hierarchies in the different planets. Again, it is he who, and that's capitalized, he who, with the solar logos to assist him, invests the various initiations with power, gives to them the word in secret which enables them to draw down the pure electric force with which their rods of office must be charged and commits to their keeping the peculiar secret of their particularly planetary scheme. A couple of pages over, 
Those who pass away from the earth after the fifth initiation, or those who do not become masters in physical incarnation, take their subsequent initiations elsewhere in the system. All are in the Logoic Consciousness. One great fact to become born in mind is that the initiations of the planet or of the solar system are but the preparatory initiations of admission into the greater lodge on Sirius. We have the symbolism held for us fairly well in masonry, and in combining the Masonic method with what we are told of the steps on the path of holiness, we get an approximate picture. Let us enlarge it somewhat. The first four initiations of the solar system correspond to the four initiations of the threshold prior to the first cosmic initiation. The fifth initiation corresponds to the first cosmic initiation, that of entered apprentice in masonry, and makes a master and entered apprentice of the lodge on Sirius. The sixth initiation Analogous to the second degree in masonry, whilst the seventh initiation makes the adept or master mason of the brotherhood on Sirius. A master mason, therefore, is one who has taken the seventh planetary initiation, the fifth solar initiation, and the first Syrian or cosmic initiation. I know, this stuff is... <laughs> it's hard to read, but... Um, and I'm not a great reader, but... Anyway, I just think this stuff, I couldn't help but uh, look at this stuff and because it's directly related to masonry. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, she's talking about cosmic influences and solar initiations again. All that can be done here in dealing with the profound subject is to enumerate briefly some of the cosmic influences which definitely affect our Earth and produce results in the consciousness of men everywhere and which, during the process of initiation, bring out certain specific phenomena. The first and foremost is the energy, or the force emanating from the sun, Sirius. Now, sun isn't capitalized, but Sirius is. If it might be so expressed, the energy of the thought, or mind force, in its totality, reaches the solar system from a distant cosmic center via Sirius. Sirius acts as the transmitter, or the focalizing center, Whence emanate those influences which produce a self-consciousness in the man. During initiation, by means of the rod of initiation, acting as a subsidiary transmitter and a powerful magnet, this energy is momentarily intensified and applied to the centers of the initiate with terrific force. Another type of energy reaches man from the Pleiades, passing through the Venusian scheme to us just as the Syrian energy passes through the Saturnian. It has a definite effect upon the casual body and serves to stimulate the heart center. And then it has Sirius in that book several other times, but you know, I don't want to get too boring with it, but I just wanted to point out that Foster Bailey was the 33rd degree Mason who wrote books about Freemasonry and talked about Sirius and getting back to that lodge and obviously Bailey is on track with him and so uh, here is let's see they mentioned masonry a few more times in this book it's talking about this chapter 2 initiation defined it says it will also hold a similar place in the ritual of the masons at this ceremony I was talking about the church and this particular initiation and this is a new church this is the new one world religion church and it says here it will also hold a similar place in the ritual of the masons at this ceremony ready for the first initiation will be publicly admitted to the lodge by one of its members authorized to do so by the great hierophant himself and here she mentions masons once again and how the masters have infiltrated the churches it says at the head of certain of the great occult groups of the Freemasons of the world and of the great various divisions of the church and resident in many of the great nations will be found initiates or masters. This work of the masters is proceeding now and all their efforts are bent towards bringing it to a successful consummation. Everywhere they are gathering in those who in any way show a tendency to respond to high vibration seeking to force their vibration and to fit them so that they may be used at the same time of the coming of the Christ. 
And obviously, remember, they're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about this, this other New Age Christ. Great is the day of opportunity, for when that time comes through the stupendous strength of the vibration, then brought to bear upon the sons of men, it will be possible for those who now do the necessary work to take a great step forward and to pass through the portal of initiation. I thought that was kind of interesting that she said, for when that time comes through the stupendous strength of the vibration, then brought to bear upon the sons of men, it will be possible for those who do the necessary work to take a great step forward and to pass through the portal of initiation. And uh, I'll read one more quote that kind of relates to Freemasons and also the Great Reset in this New World Government. She says, By Sanat Kumara, working through the Maha Kohan, by the wielding of the rod of power, the magnetic focal points of those great organizations which affect the civilization and the culture of the people are brought into coherent activity. All physical plane organization, governmental, religious, or cultural, is the working out of inner forces and causes, and before they definitely appear in the physical manifestation, a focalization, if it might be so expressed of these influences and energies, takes place on etheric levels. The organization of the Freemasons is a case in point. It has two magnetic centers, one of which is in Central Europe. In all these cases cited the Lord of this world. Now I think this is interesting because the Bible says that the Lord of this world is Satan. The Lord of this world was the officiating agent, as is ever the case in the founding of the great and important movements. In all lesser movements, for the helping of the race, initiated by the masters working through their disciples, the aid of the Bodhisattva is invoked and the lesser rod of power employed. I'm almost finished. When disciples initiate a movement on a relatively tiny scale, the master with whom they work can similarly assist them, and though he wields no rod of power, he has methods whereby he can stimulate and cause to cohere the little endeavor of the faithful followers. Thus, in all departments of human life, the rods of initiation and the words of power are used. The entire world government functions under law and order, and the whole scheme is interdependent. And I probably should mention that uh, I've been reading this book by Annie Bizant, and she was the head of the Theosophical Society before Alice Bailey. So Bizant came after... Blavatsky, and she was also big in the Fabian Socialist Movement. And she was big time. Uh, I mean, all three were into Buddhism, but she seemed to be even more so. Uh, she seemed to be the one who was more on the kind of hippie-ish side. And she, like I said, came in after Blavatsky, so she was big in the earlier part of the 1900s. Uh, but she actually wrote a book called Inner Government of the World, which I've been reading. Now, she wrote this, I think, before the United Nations was formed and maybe even before the League of Nations was presented. I think she did. This was early on. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's hard to read because it's got so much of the Buddhist mumbo-jumbo. But, but again, she claims that these Brahmins and these... Uh, Great White Brotherhood, these these people, or not people, these, uh, I guess you call them gods, which I think are fallen angels, if there's anything to it, have already taken over the government and have been in control even back then and leading these governments to this utopia. Another thing I'll mention quickly, another book by Alice Bailey, and I won't, <laughs> I'm not going to read another quote, but uh, she talks about the white and the black lodges and she even mentions in there that the black lodge is slowly taking control which I thought was interesting and I want to find out more about this I remember uh, a band I used to really like Anthrax had a song called Black Lodge and I never really looked into the meaning of the song but uh, anyway I thought that was interesting and I hope to find out more about that 
And another thing I wanted to briefly mention before we end this, uh, Altian in his video about Freemasonry, he mentions the Satanic Rituals, the book that Anton LaVey wrote as a companion to the Satanic Bible. And LaVey says, Satanic Ritual is a blend of Gnostic, Kabbalistic, Hermetic, and Masonic elements incorporating nomenclature and vibratory words of power from virtually every mythos. And he also says in a couple pages down, he's talking about this one degree ritual. It's called Elair Epas, obviously French. He goes on to say, the numerous manifestations of Satanism in Masonic ritual, for instance, the goat, the coffin, the death's head, etc., can easily be euphemized, but the rejection of certain values demanded by Elair Epas cannot be cloaked in accepted theologies. Once the celebrant has taken the degree, he embarks upon the left-hand path and chooses hell in place of heaven. Besides being both ritual and ceremony, the stifling air, which is a, an initiation by the Templars, is a memento mori carried to its highest power. Requirements for performance. The chamber must either be black or mirrored. A mirrored chamber provides greater confrontation for the celebrant, making him hyper-conscious of his role. Mirrors also serve to rob the soul, according to the old tradition, an austere chair is provided in which the celebrant sits during the first part of the ritual. The coffin may be of any type, although a traditional hexagonal style is recommended, as this is the type depicted in the actual sigil of the sixth degree of the Templars, and combined with the skull and the crossbones, is retained in Masonic symbology. The coffin must be large enough to accommodate two persons, hence special construction or modification is likely to be necessary. Uh, you know, I could go on and on about that, but I just thought that was interesting. And I think there's a couple other mentions of Masons in here or Masonic traditions. Let's see here. Again, he's talking about this ritual, Elair Epas. He says the fraternal attainment conferred by Elair Epas would correspond to the 34th degree of Masonry if such a grade existed. The present Scottish Rite ends at the 32nd degree master of the royal secret with additional degree conferred under honorary circumstances correspondingly exalted status is attained in the york rite masonry at its 10th grade which carries the title knights templar the original templars rite of the fifth degree symbolically guided the candidate through the devil's pass in the mountains separating the east from the west the yazidi domain at the fork of the trail, the candidate would make an important decision, either to retain his present identity or to strike out on the left-hand path to Shambhala. And of course, uh, Bailey talks about Shambhala quite a bit, where he might dwell in Satan's household, having rejected the foibles and hypocrisies of the everyday world. A striking American parallel to this rite is enacted within the mosques of the ancient Arabic order of the nobles of the mystic shrine, or the Shriners, an order reserved for 32nd degree masons. The nobles have gracefully removed themselves from any implication of heresy by referring to the place beyond the devil's pass as the domain where they might worship at the shrine of Islam. Of course, we know that the ancient Arabic order of the nobles of the mystic shrine are the Shriners. Elair Epas is impossible to perform without an indiscreet degree of blasphemy towards the Christian ethic, hence its exclusion from the Masonic ritual, thereby halting any further progression beyond the 33rd degree Scottish Rite and 10th grade York Rite level. The Order of the Rosy Cross of Aleister Crowley's Magic Curriculum provided an interesting comparison in its 7th degree Adeptus Exemptus. In that rite, the alternative to taking the left-hand path was to become a babe of the abyss, which is not as contradictory and confusing as it sounds, if one considers Crowley's oft-times Machiavellian modus operandi. Crowley was nobody's fool, simply set up a magical maze so that students whose consciences would only allow them to tread the right-hand path would nevertheless wind up on the left-hand. Fortunately, 
precious few of Crowley's disciples progressed as far as the Adeptus Exemptus, thus neatly preventing problems that might have arisen from such a rude spiritual awakening. The overtly anti-Christian sentiments of the ceremony of the stifling air classified it as a black mass according to the accounts that were employed to indict the Templars. Well, I fumbled through that, but uh, you kind of get the picture there. You know, I mentioned this on the show before, but uh, Anton LaVey's real name was Howard Stanton Levy. Uh, so I think he was uh, originally a small hat, and uh, I don't know if that really has anything to do with it. But one of the interesting things about him is his wife, the wife that uh, when he died he was married to, I can't remember her name right offhand, but I think it was Blanche Bartow, if I remember correctly. She wrote a book called The Secret Life of a Satanist. Now, the interesting thing was before she got married to him, she was his office manager. And she wrote this book, so she says that he told her that he used to deal arms before he took on the whole Satanist thing and kind of made his money with that and made his fame with that and even claimed that he sold those arms to the Jewish state of Israel. Uh, you know, and hey, that's her saying that, so take it for what you will. But, uh, I mean, we're talking about <laughs> the, the guy who created the Satanic Church, so anything is possible, I suppose. And supposedly, LeVay's got this quote, the first time I read the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, my instinctive reaction was, so what's wrong with that? Isn't that the way any master plan should work? Doesn't the public deserve, nay, demand such despotism? I don't know, it kind of sounds like something he might say, but we can't prove it. I appreciate you listening, as always. Hope you have a great week. I look forward to bringing you the next show, and I'll give you a little teaser of what that's about. I'm going to be covering Michael Aquino and the Temple of Set. And I think you've heard people mention this before. I think that I'm going to be able to bring you maybe two shows, very, very detailed shows. And, of course, we'll talk about Anton LaVey and uh, the Church of Satan and Aleister Crowley and, and different things that are related to it as well. But um, I really look forward to bringing that to you. I appreciate you listening so much. Remember, I do have a Patreon. It's forward slash the odd man out. If you want to give me some love. If you, uh, you know, I work in a kind of a value for value model. And so if you got value out of this, then you can help me out if you feel led to. Also, I ask you to please, please share the show. And if you get time, please give me a good rating because it does help. Like I said, we're fighting these well-funded corporations. But, hey, i got to stand for what I believe in and what I know to be wrong. I'm going to stand against it. So with that, I'm just going to say... Cheers and blessings to you all, and remember, their order is not our order. See you guys. There's no way out of here when you come in, you're in for good. There was no promise made, the part you played, the chance you took. There are no boundaries set, the time, and yet you waste it still. The wind slips through your hands like grains of sand, you watch it go. There's no time to You'll pay the cost, so get it right There's no way out of here When you come in, you're in for good Your life slips through your hands Like grains of sand, you watch it go There's no time to be lost You'll pay the cost Stay
Me. 